Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of What's Your Jersey podcast. I am your host, Jacqueline Marfuji, and I'm sorry I I didn't release an episode last week. Um, it didn't feel right. Um, I, in fact, am doing a re-release this week of a very, very special episode, um, probably one of my favorite episodes that has ever been on the podcast. Um, I just didn't feel right last week. I was trying to gather my thoughts and decide whether or not I should say anything or post anything. And so for those of you who um, have already listened, thank you so much for the support. But um, this episode is dedicated to and is um, a friend and a just amazing, amazing person who unfortunately a week ago uh, passed away and she was actually tragically murdered um, at her own house. And um, I am talking about Dr. Amy Harwick. Uh, for those of you that don't know her, she was a licensed marriage and family therapist with a PhD in human sexuality. Uh, she was an author of the new sex Bible for women, and she had her own private practice in West Hollywood, amongst a million other things. There honestly was nothing that Amy couldn't do. And her passing is just, it's not fair. And it's just so frustrating because I feel like it's something that could have been avoided. And um, I just want to say my my heart goes out to her family and her loved ones and just anyone that has been touched by the exquisite Amy Harwick. Um, I went back and forth about whether or not to, you know, comment or say anything. And I 100% don't want to like jump on a bandwagon of posting or saying like, Oh, I knew Amy, but um, I don't know. Yesterday I kind of went back and I was like, I, I want to listen to the episode because hey, I wanted to hear her voice. It was the last in-person conversation we had. Um, and I just, after listening to the entire episode, I feel like, um, for anyone that knew her, um, they deserve to hear it. And for anyone that doesn't or didn't know Amy, um, it's definitely, it's so good. And she's just so candid and funny and open to talking about a lot of taboo subjects that many people wouldn't even touch. Um, you know, she was such an advocate for women and, um, she, she was all about female empowerment, which also just makes this even more tragic. Um, she, she talked about, you know, sexuality and sexually exploited teenagers, trauma, children with trauma, sexual identity issues, um, sex workers. And she was also just a huge advocate for the LGBT, LGBTQ community. And, um, you know, throughout the episode, she just talks about lightheartedly all of the things she was passionate about, all the things she loved. And it's just, you know, it's really good. I recommend listening until the very end because she also talked about what she would keep in her house that made her happy. And, um, she talks about where she's from. She's an East Coast girl. She was from, uh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, she also tells really funny stories. We actually met working, um, at the Playboy Mansion. And so we talk about the Karma Foundation, which is who we worked for. And 
uh, for anyone that worked with us, she, she loved everyone she worked with and talked about that on the podcast. And I don't know. I just, I definitely feel like, um, to memorialize her, um, you know, I wanted to repost about it. And especially after, um, another tragedy, I, I, um, watched the memorial for Kobe Bryant and his daughter today, Gigi, um, that happened at Staples Center. And again, such an amazing tribute. Um, but some of the, you know, best parts, if you could say best, um, were the videos that they played back of Kobe talking and just some of the latest moments were getting to see his spirit, um, again. So I feel like, you know, hopefully this can help someone. And for anyone that misses Amy, that was in her life, um, hearing her voice again might make you happy. Uh, and again, my heart goes out to her patients, her family, her loved ones, just anyone that her life touched, because honestly, the world was a better place having Amy Harwick in it. And we all miss her. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. I'm going to post some of the links to a lot of the charities and organizations she was really passionate and an advocate for. Um, there's a domestic abuse organization that you can donate to in her name. Um, and I'll also post the link to the obituary because I'm pretty sure there's a link to, um, that there too. Uh, so if anything, just remember, you don't know what's going to happen when you step outside your front door and you don't know if you're coming back and just be grateful, be, um, aware of what's going on. If someone is, you know, speaking up about being scared about a certain situation, you know, listen to them. Um, cause you never know what could really happen if you don't do something. Uh, and just, again, I know we all say this when tragedy happens, but really, uh, tell your loved ones you love them and, you know, embrace all the good that's in your life and try to be positive and, you know, live every day to its fullest because you never know when your last one's going to happen. Um, I love you guys for listening. Thank you for supporting the podcast. Um, and without further ado, uh, the absolutely intelligent, just mesmerizing, just the brightest light in the room. Um, and, just the incredibly eloquent Amy Harwick. Thank you for listening. My guest, I've known her for probably, I want to say maybe five, six, seven years, maybe longer. longer. I feel like we met in 2010, actually. Probably. That could be it. Mm -hmm. uh, I I mean, I have so many questions that you guys actually sent me. I posted um, today on IG asking for your sex, relationship, love, family questions. And holy shit, you guys are curious. <laughs> um, so we're just going to get right into it. Uh, she's amazing. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. A sex therapist. Mm -hmm. Can I call yep, you that? Absolutely. Uh, she also was a professional dancer and a fire eater. And we met working for the Karma Foundation and worked a bunch of parties at the Playboy Mansion. Oh, wait, she's been in Playboy too, guys. And she's smart <laughs> as fuck. Uh, Welcome to the podcast. Thanks Amy for Harvick. having me. What a description. I know. Well, you you did all those things. Yeah, I do. All, I do all the things. I like being a woman that does all the things, which I, can be tiring. I mean, that's so 2019 of you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're so on brand with everything that's going on today. Wow. Well, yeah, we met a long time ago. I might have been 2010, 2009, 2010, something like that. Yeah. Um, doing bottle service. 
you know, at the Playboy Mansion, you know, like trying to carry large bottles of some type of alcohol to tables with loud music. (sighs) And there's girls with angel wings slapping you in the face as you're trying to walk through a crowd. And it's like the things you do when you get through stages in life. I'm really thankful for that job. It paid very well. Yes, it did. And I met so many cool girls through it that I'm still friends with. So totally. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've always like admired you from afar, like everything that you've posted, (laughs) even like your personal training stuff. Yeah, I did that for a while, too. Yeah, that was really fun. That's what I did when I was going through graduate school and for almost like 10 years. I think I did that. That is so cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Guys, Amy doesn't age. Also, I feel like you actually like are Benjamin buttoning it. I hide from the sun. I I don't drink alcohol, but that pumpkin spice white claw sounds pretty good. (laughs) It almost sounds like clear Pepsi. A little like bit. Like the creepiness of it. Like, why is it clear? But it's pumpkin spice. Right? Like that mm-hmm. whole juxtaposition. I don't know about it. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like I have to try anything twice before I'm well, fully... I'd like to hear about it because I love pumpkin spice because I'm basic like that too. I saw the sign at Starbucks for pumpkin spice yesterday and I stopped in my tracks. You got so... You like had an orgasm. <laughs> oh my gosh. You're like, it's yeah, all happening. Yeah. Well, Amy and I ran into each other. Uh, we were at another sex therapist house. <laughs> uh, Emily Morse, who's been on the podcast before. Before. Mm-hmm. We love her. And I randomly, I was at her birthday mm-hmm. party and Amy showed up. I'm so happy we didn't leave early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just such a breath of fresh air. Like you mm-hmm. walked in and mm-hmm. you guys, I a recommend anyone who's in Los Angeles, like hiring you or going to you for sessions because oh, you have this like calming effect energy. You're nice. so open and just, you know, no, no judgments. I feel like. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And I'm right down the street from you. So and I actually I can can't be there. your therapist now because we know each other. Um, but if you want to come to my office and have coffee anytime, please feel free to do so. We can, we can just uh, hang out. Yeah, we can just hang. Yeah. Um, yeah. Emily Morris is great. I just met her. Um, we've known of each other for a long time because we're in the same community. The sex positive educator and therapist community actually is pretty small, even in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But we became friends, I would say, more in the past year or so. Okay. So, yeah. And I love her. She's great. Oh, my God. She's amazing. Yeah. She's the best. Mm-hmm. You're the best. Uh, I just want to get into it. So Amy walked in and told me this really awesome story. And I actually, (laughs) I mean, right off the bat, feel like so many girls and guys go through this shit, especially if you're in a big city. Mm -hmm. Like we're in Los Angeles, which I feel like might be the hardest city to date in. I could be wrong. It's one of the harder ones. And I think that's because so many people gravitate towards Los Angeles to be something, make something of themselves. I also think that there's a lot more um, people on the apps that are that are in those communities of people. So it makes it a little harder. Um, it's more skewed. It's skewed here for people in the entertainment industry, which oh, I think yeah. can be difficult. And also, it's like, if you're in the middle of Nebraska, not knocking Nebraska, it's mm-hmm. great, but you don't have like Instagram models and like super hot you have less options. You have less when options. there's less options, it's actually proven to be better for dating. That's why apps like The League only give you three options a day because you have to consider them more. <gasps> when you that. have more options, like on Bumble, when you find yourself scrolling and scrolling for oh hours, um, people become less meaningful. Yeah. Um, it's like a video game. Yeah. It's like a game, which is yeah. how the app survives because it feels like a game but so the more options you have the actually actually the less likely you are to lock down and pick something and find it meaningful so for dating you should just find the least populated city possible or you should just (laughs) use apps or engage in things in ways that are like slower and more meaningful and more intentional more intentional with dating yeah more authentic yeah 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 we have all these hot people like walking around in the wild Mm -hmm. like it's a little scary but that's also something to pay attention to if you're on a dating app and the person you're going on dates with or somebody you've gone on a date with is 
skewing towards their app to look at women that are younger or that are, are just like hot girls, which is that which is fine. But if you're looking for a relationship and the other person's just looking going off looks, that's not going to be a good match, yeah. right? So you have to intentionally date, and you want to make sure that the person you're looking for is dating with a similar intention as yourself, whether it's casual or serious. Yeah, like how can you figure that out? You just ask. Also, direct communication just doesn't happen as much anymore. So I I mean, I just saw it was a video on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Russell Russell Brand. Mm -hmm. He had just posted saying the number one relationship killer is communication, not having good communication. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can't establish that you have similar values or you're on the same page, that's going to be a big problem. But like maybe not on the first date. I feel like that's what people are confused about. I mean, first dates are, you know... You're essentially off an app meeting a stranger. So do you want to give them a questionnaire? I would. I'm so analytical that I would do something like that. And I actually went on a date the other night and the other person was like that too. Very scientific. And I'm like, this is actually really good because this is how I am. Okay. So for me, that that works. But for most people, it's just you're meeting a person. Are they safe? Is there any type of attraction at all? Can you imagine yourself dating them? Yeah. It's just the surface. So just don't worry about much more. The surface, basic. If there's any major deal breakers, I guess, bring it up. Ask the question. Um, But you could bring those things up, but it's not necessary. I would say between the first and third dates are the times to rule out the major values or commonalities. So you were on the league. And you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to start there? Or do we? Because <laughs> how do you want to start the story? Can, we I'm not the storyteller. Okay, okay. <laughs> Basically, Amy went out with a mutual friend's ex-boyfriend. Who, I mean, they had been broken up at the time, yeah. and then she met the mutual friend with me in the wild. And you know, when you start dating someone, you Google them. You like look up some. Well, stuff. I even encourage people. I think it's good to do a quick search because there's so much stuff online, whether it's irrelevant or untrue. You can't go down a wormhole or you shouldn't typically go down a wormhole. But you do the five-minute search. Are they a real person? Is this their real name? Do they have a LinkedIn? Is this the job they say they have? So like the basic like couple minutes of verifying that this person is a real human being and not some psychopath, serial killer or something. (laughs) So I did the three-minute search on this person. You know, what was it? Many, many months ago, six, seven months ago. And yes, he was a real person. But then it was like late and I went down a little bit more of a rabbit hole and I found a picture of someone who had been dating and I that he's no longer dating and I thought oh she seems interesting and cool I actually looked at her social media this is called I was up too late and I thought oh this girl looks like a really cool girl and I think that's why she was familiar because I paid attention and I thought she seemed interesting and then when I met you she was with you and I thought I know this person did I work with this person have I met her before? And I was convinced that we would figure it out. And she's like, no, we've never met. Nice to meet you. I'm like, no, we know each other. <laughs> no, I was creepy. That's what it was. No, so I, I just it. told you today that, yeah. yes, I creeped on your friend many, many months ago. Went out with the guy twice. Nothing happened. Wasn't interested. Not my thing. No. Um, but your friend is really nice. Oh, though. great. Perfect. <laughs> no, but I- it is. it is such a small world. And also, even though we're in a big city, it's a small world. Like, what are the... What are the chances that I meet some random guy who's not in my social circle, has no other real attachments to me, I go to a random party, and I'm talking to his ex-girlfriend? So it's just – it can feel like a very small world here. Has that ever happened to you and you've actually been dating the guy at the time and, like, you're realizing as you're talking to the ex-girlfriend that, like, oh, my God, this is his ex-girlfriend. Like, we've never met. And, like – do you do you hmm. even bring that up? Like I don't even know what the social I, cues I, are. I, I haven't been in that exact situation. I've been in 
my fair share of uncomfortable situations. And, you know, you just deal with it as it comes. You know, I think you just realize that not anything has to be a big deal unless you make it a big deal. Mm -hmm. You explore the reasons that you may or may not feel anxious in that moment. Because that seems like that's what you're saying is, oh, my gosh, you probably feel anxiety or uncomfortable. But it depends on the situation. I mean, some people break up and they they don't have any negative feelings towards each other. So if it was a breakup with good boundaries and the person's not a problem in your life and your relationship is not in any type of distress, it shouldn't be an issue, right? Now, okay, would I go home and tell my boyfriend that I ran into his ex-girlfriend or is that like not important You know, there's different schools of thought on that. I I personally lean towards too much information, all the information, all the communication, but a lot of schools of thought also feel like, you know, why bring it up if it's not a problem? If it's not something that will come back later, if it's irrelevant, okay, why bring it up? I think... Um, I really love Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. I'm a super fan of hers. I think I mentioned to you, I have a devotional candle yes. of her, just as you have a devotional candle of Britney Spears. <laughs> um, so she had mentioned recently, because she was married for 50 years, that her secret to long marriage or her advice is sometimes you have to be a little deaf. So if it's not a deal breaker and it's not something that's going to be a problem, you don't have to necessarily engage with something. I actually, it's funny you bring that up. I had someone write in saying... Hey, I like there's certain things about my past I don't really want to reveal mm-hmm. to my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And I don't think like I've gotten over it. Like, how do I move past it? Or is it something like you have to talk? about? I mean, is it something that's going to directly impact the relationship or cause embarrassment or something later? Something that if uncovered later will cause your partner to feel deceived or that you were dishonest? Mm. If the answer is no, then it's not necessary. It's up to you to disclose whatever you want to disclose, especially when people are talking about sexual situations or behaviors. Yeah. Um, I work with a lot of poly uh, couples or kink couples. So what's a kink couple or kink people? Like yesterday I, I I was at a party. Uh, I had a virgin bloody Mary. It was really amazing. Just a day party with some of my friends. And I have a lot of artistic friends that I was talking to a girl and she's her lifestyle. Her kink is that she's a kitten. And she talked about how difficult it was to date when somebody didn't match with her fetish as wanting to be a kitten. And so now she found a guy that wants kitten play, and that's great. But does she disclose that if she's dating somebody that's vanilla and they don't understand that? How does she communicate that? Is that something necessary to talk about? Yeah. So if it's something that's important for your lifestyle that you're going to need to engage in, and a year goes by and you say, look, I've been holding it in, but I need to – be a kitten in the bedroom, and if you can't accommodate that, it's over. So that would require more disclosure because that's part of who you are. But mm-hmm. let's say you you used to be in having a bunch of threesomes, and now you're not doing that anymore, and you're in a monogamous relationship. Is it necessary to tell your current partner that you had consensual threesomes in the past? No. No. Like, why would you tell them? Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it to yourself. Yeah. You don't have to. I mean, that's really none of their business, unless it's something that's going to affect them or the relationship. Okay. Now, I want to know, so mm-hmm. what's your jersey as a play on words? I find uh-huh. out where my guests are from. And oh, how I'm from Philly. Got... I'm from right by Jersey. Oh, gosh. Look at that, guys. We're neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering that. I was like, I 
don't remember where you are from. Philly. Yeah. So you're I used to be in Jersey Philly. all the time. That's amazing. Yeah. I have a, <laughs> I moved to LA when I was 19. So most of my growing up was mm. on the East Coast. Um, but I used to go to Jersey quite a bit. Do you know what the grease trucks are? Oh, duh. Okay. So <laughs> my friends and I in high school used to go drive to the grease trucks by Rutgers. Oh my gosh. And now there's like um, fat sales here, yes. which is essentially the sandwiches they had at the grease trucks. Oh, totally. And the grease trucks were around before there was like trendy food trucks. And I'm like... I used to go to these trucks in Jersey. Okay. Yes. Oh yeah, my God. I they were so that. good. Yeah. yeah. No. And they have like everything on them. It's insane. Like Philly cheesesteak and mozzarella sticks and burgers and cheese it's and so, French fries all in one sandwich. No, it's like I'm a heart hungry. attack sandwich. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I love that you actually attempted to eat the meatballs that are here. A lot of people don't yeah, even touch them. Yeah. I ate them. half a meatball, but now I'm talking. So I will continue. <laughs> That's my lunch before I go to work. I will eat your meatballs. Love it. And I grew up with, all, you know, Pennsylvania's all Italians as well. So. Oh, yeah. Italian cooking and pizzerias. It's very similar. Yeah. So were you like very outgoing? Were you modeling? Were you Mm -hmm. doing all the things? Like when did this all come into play? Not on the East Coast. There's not really stuff like that available. Not in Pennsylvania. No. I mean, it's very, (laughs) it's, it's different. Although my first agent was in Philly. Oh, really? (laughs) Marie Claro Talent Agency. Oh, fancy. Oh, not very. Um, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't find opportunities like that there. In fact, I never thought I could do any of that stuff. And when I moved to LA, I moved here for a relationship I had when I was 19. I had a friend that said, oh, you should do these promotions. You get paid to go wear a branded t-shirt for an alcohol brand. You hand things out and people pay you for this. And I was like, what? No. And it was just so easy and what a great way to make money while going through school. So I did, you know, the promo stuff. And then that same friend is the one that got me into professional dance and bottle service and the Karma Foundation stuff um, and modeling. And, you know, I I really enjoyed a lot of that. I made so many friends. I found it to be a really positive experience on the the most part. but and I kind of miss it in a sense. I just don't have time or energy to do those things anymore. It kind of faded out as I was starting my practice. I'm like, I just don't have time. No. So were you always like, were you always open like sexually or was this mm-hmm. something that you always were drawn to? Like- I think I always wanted to talk about sexuality because it very much overlaps feminism and gender roles and how we exist in the world as women. Mm-hmm. And I just saw, especially on the East Coast, it's a lot more conservative, oh, yeah. um, how people would judge others for their sexual identity or orientation or preferences. And I think that that in combination with feminist studies was more of the motivation of why I went into study sexuality more. And most therapists don't get a lot of sexuality education. So mm-hmm. if you're going to see a therapist, an MFT, MSW, PsyD, like a, you know, go through your insurance, go see a therapist. Most therapists only have one unit of education of sexuality unless they've sought it out on purpose. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, a weekend course or half the duration of a normal class. Pretty much my class in graduate school was write a paper about anything about sex. And then the comment on the paper was A plus, you should teach this class, which I did then come back and teach in services at my graduate school. Um, which was Pepperdine? Pepperdine, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's there's just a lack of education. So I wanted to be one of the ones that sought out additional education experience, mentoring, so that I could serve the communities better Okay. Um, with these things. And a lot of the clients I work with, like I said, whether it's kinky people or poly people or trans trans community, um, I just have a little more knowledge and experience and awareness in those topics. So I'm not like, wait, what's kitten play? Wait, what does Polly mean? So that way we can just talk about what we're going to talk about and I'm not constantly stopping them, asking them to define or make a judgment about what they're doing. Oh, yeah. 
Did you want to know what kitten play was? Yeah. I'm so... <laughs> Actually, I actually haven't met a lot of kittens and I was so excited to meet this girl yesterday um, just as a friend. But typically a lot of animal play when it comes to sexuality is not it's never about bestiality, Mm -hmm. but it's about caring and grooming. So there's pony play. And when people dress like ponies, it's typically you're brushing your pet pony or you're loving it or you're caressing it. And the people that are the pony want to receive that care and touch. Okay. Um, And the person doing it wants to be the caretaker. Okay. So you may have seen like some of the pony play fetish gear where it's like the ears and the muzzle or there's like butt plugs with horse tails on them and they're actually beautiful they're very expensive i just always thought people thought they were cute i didn't know it was a whole like it's a whole community like a pony pony play (gasps) like kittens are similar so the girl that i talked to yesterday she said she had an awkward situation because she started dating a guy for about a month his ex-girlfriend they're still friends she comes over to say hi to to the guy and whoops they left their cage out and <laughs> and the ex-girlfriend didn't want to play like a kitten. So that was why one of the reasons they broke up and uh-huh. they found each other, this couple, and they both like kitten play. So he puts her in a cage. And when she's in the cage, she has blankets and pillows and she naps like a cat. Oh, my gosh. And I just thought this was interesting because I don't find napping very easy. I'm like, I just don't like to nap. She goes, oh my God, I me love too. napping. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a napper. Not a napper. I'm not a napper. But like if you're a napper, down. maybe you could try kitten play because – it's not like they're having sex in the cage. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know if she wears ears or kitten gear, but she just goes in the cage and she takes a nap and he gives her food and he pets her and strokes her and she purrs. And it's this type of dynamic. So it doesn't always have to be about penetrative intercourse, but it's about the dynamic between two people that are typically um, with boundaries and caretaking and touch and love. So, yeah, I thought that was really sweet, but awkward ex-girlfriend saw my cage I'm like well how big is this cage she's like it's big very big oh my god that's really funny. yeah wait yeah. i didn't know any of this so it's kink play what is it well this is kitten play okay. so it's like she said i'm a kitten um which is so her. funny because there's another podcast at her own compliments and they call their listeners kittens oh and we <laughs> well, cross over be attracting a whole nother demographic you really could. yeah um oh my gosh annabelle has to have you anybody on. that's not falling into what's called like vanilla or you know what might be considered more like mainstream might be kink and that's just anything that's not the mainstream so kink is just a word that's used as a really big umbrella for lots of things so whether it's bdsm or any type of like community like pony play or or kitten play it could even be used for any type of queer identities or people that have group sex or poly relationships it could all technically fall under the umbrella of kink yeah yeah Wow. I, I mean, so if I, I, cause I didn't know like kitten mm-hmm. play or pony, I didn't know that was mm-hmm. a thing. So if I just Google like kink, yeah, play, I could oh, find kink, out. Just kink, not even play, just kink. Just I mean, kink. yeah. And I like that word. Yeah. That's a yeah. fun word. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. I feel like it's scary for certain people, mm-hmm. you know? Well, what's interesting is most people engage in a level of um, power play, kink, or BDSM without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything where there's a power dynamic is typically some type of level of BDSM, whether you like it or not. So, you know, if you're aggressive or you're initiating or you're restraining somebody, whether you call it kink or not, you're engaging in some type of kink play. But how far you go or how much of a lifestyle it is is up to you. Some people are lifestyle kink people where they're 24 7 Uh, and some people it's just a little bit of light play in the bedroom which i think is fun yeah most people do it and they don't even call it kink but so like what do you recommend for people to do if they want to like dip their toe Mm -hmm. in the kink pond um 
Well, there's lots of things. You can read books. You can watch films. You can watch adult content. Um, in LA, we have the Pleasure Chest, mm-hmm. which is a great sex shop. There's also Stockroom, which is kind of the kinky, um, really friendly kinky store. Have I've you been never to Stockroom? I've heard of it. Okay, your homework is to go to Stockroom. You've okay. been to Pleasure Chest, right? Yes, I have been there. Pleasure Chest is great for the listeners that aren't in LA. There's also um, Toys in Babeland, which is, I think, in San Francisco and New York, and Good Vibrations, which is, I think, in San Francisco. There's a few sex shops in the US that are well-lit, friendly, the staff is educated, and they're more sex positive. So they're not like the seedy sex shops where people are watching, walking in in trench coats and the floor is sticky because there's those places too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pleasure Test is not like that. <laughs> they do education events. I've actually taught there before. Yeah. It's just a really nice, warm, friendly place to go when you want to not only buy a sex toy or clothing or something playful, but you can also get educated by the staff. Mm-hmm. So Stockroom... It's kind of like the kinky version of that. So they sell latex clothing and they sell sex toys too, but they also sell like electrical play and, um, you know, masks and hoods, which are also a pleasure chest, but Stockroom leans more towards kink. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fun just to go in and see their stuff. And again, it's well-lit, staff is friendly. Um, you go there with friends, walk around, take a look at things. And doesn't pleasure chest give like classes and mm-hmm. stuff? Yeah, I've taught there. I did a class a couple of years ago, but they typically have classes every week, whether it's on safety, consent, um, anal sex, bondage, all the things that you know, you might want to get a little bit of education before you jump right in. It would probably yeah. be better. You could hurt yourself. You could hurt yourself. <laughs> you could hurt somebody else. It might not be pleasurable. Um, and that's the problem, I think, with how accessible porn is right now, is that mm-hmm. people, especially younger people, are seeing these more intense sexual behaviors and they just jump in and try them when, I mean, you can't just jump in and try anal. Like, you need to talk about it and talk about boundaries and have good communication and use lubricant. But a lot of people see these uh see the content that's so readily available and see how accessible and how prevalent certain behaviors are mm-hmm. in adult content that's free online and they just jump in and do it god that's and how you break a hip yeah or anus break I lots of stuff yeah All so right. yeah pl- definitely if you're in la check out the classes at pleasure chest they're great so one of the coolest things that i love about what you preach is you wrote a book called the new sex bible mm-hmm. and you're all about like you know, female empowerment, feminism. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest things about enjoying sex for females mm-hmm. that you talk about is really knowing what works for you. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, what do you, what, you can bullet point or like cliff note it yeah, for our what, listeners. How you find out what works for you. Yeah. Masturbate. Okay. I mean, that's the first thing. So exploring your own body, that's how you learn what works for you. So obviously through interactions with other people, you're going to know through trial and error. That was great. That wasn't great. This type of person is good for me. This type of person doesn't work for me. Mm. But ultimately exploring things yourself and just taking an inventory of how those things feel. So whether it's actually masturbation, penetration with a toy, or just exploring your body and getting to know yourself, your anatomy, and how you work and function. That's the number one, I think, as far as sexually, getting to know yourself. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Guys, get to know yourself. Get Mm -hmm. into it, right? Yeah. I I mean, I have a great job. I can suggest that people go masturbate. I mean, that's a great thing. Um, I did the vagina monologues many years ago. I think I was in junior college at the time. And one of the things they had us do as an exercise was get a mirror that would be able to stand up on their own, mm-hmm. on its own, instead of a handheld mirror. Because men always look at their penis. If they are going to take a pee, they are holding their penis in their hand, they're looking down. It's just right there mm-hmm. available to them. Whereas with us, I mean, 
we're not able to see our vulva unless we're standing over a mirror or like we have our leg behind our head. So, and when we pee or we do daily activities, we're not touching ourselves really as much as a guy would Mm -hmm. just because of access and anatomy. So when I did this vagina monologues many years ago, they said, we're going to give you this handheld mirror and we want you to go home and just really like look at yourself because we don't do that as women. And we just don't have natural access to that area of our body as easily as men. Yeah. So that's something I recommend to people too, is getting a mirror that stands up by itself and just really exploring what your body looks like and how it feels. And yeah, I like that. And I think just having around you, like what makes you feel sexy? Oh, what makes you feel sexy? Well, like having that around you in your environment. Yeah. Yeah. Like even, I mean, our bedroom is like very like clean and airy Mm -hmm. and like, Mm -hmm. you know, like whites and grays and like Mm -hmm. serene. And the other day I was like, I feel like there needs, we need to like put some stuff in here that just makes me feel a little sexier. Right. What makes you feel sexy? Oh God. What makes me feel sexy? Um, I feel like I like, like there's a book over there. It's, mm-hmm. I think it's called Room 34. I like hotel okay. rooms. Like the oh. idea of being in a hotel room. Like yeah. that makes me feel sexy. Also like sexy music, mm-hmm. you know, like for me. And I don't know if it's like a dance mm-hmm. thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like I just like Portishead and like. Oh, yeah. Portishead's know. a song I had on my dating app for a while. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but yeah, no, Portishead's super sexy. But yeah. like having sexy ambient type of music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, make your make your bedroom like a hotel room. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's a little. That, how could you how could you make it like a hotel room? I like I love I've been wanting for a while just like a black wall. Like mm-hmm. one black wall. So maybe something like that mm-hmm. or like a lot more like gold. I'm going to make myself sound like uh, Scarface, like Al Pacino. Like yeah. I just want gold fixtures and like Oh, I'm walls. all about gold. Yeah. <laughs> I love ornate gold things. My bedroom has actually – yeah, because I just moved in January – my bedroom has like champagne and gold flecked wallpaper yeah. and I have an albino deer head next to my bed. <laughs> Great. See, there's a, there's a checkered, um, oh, yeah, you have a checkered McKenzie child. And he has gold, gold, um, <laughs> gold, gold antlers. antlers. Yeah, yeah. That's really cute. Just like stuff like that. Something that brings a mood. And I think being yeah. surrounded by things that reinforce your beliefs and your feelings. So maybe that's something overt, like art that looks sexual or something sexualized or it could just be things that are implied that evoke your mood Mm -hmm. so creating that black wall in more of a moody environment like a hotel room would be cool yeah like i even and i'm straight but i love like the sexy pictures Mm -hmm. of just like females like from Mm -hmm. behind or females like Mm -hmm. in like like tasteful like very classic Mm -hmm. but like even something like that to have like little like framed Mm -hmm. things like Mm -hmm. that would Mm -hmm. be cool mm-hmm. all right so that's good advice yeah. on how to yeah. turn your bedroom into a hotel room well i even see around your living room area here you have a lot of books that reinforce your belief system i love creeping on people's libraries i'm like Ooh. what do you read um so i see you have attached i, so... wa- I was gonna bring that up to you yeah that's the best relationship book that's great so i need you to read it yeah reread it keep it as a reference um i like aziz ansari's modern romance mm-hmm. i know he's had some criticism with certain things personally i have mixed thoughts on that but that book is actually very good. So I recommend people read it when they're having challenges dating just to kind of read what's normalized with people's dating experiences. Yeah. I think it's a really good book. What was, is there like any takeaways from that or attached that like you really like? Uh, Modern Romance, I feel like, um, I like that he wrote it with, I think, a social worker or a Mm -hmm. therapist. So it's not just, I'm just a non-expert writing about romantic relationships. It's here's my experience. And then he has some facts in there. So I think it's just more about dating apps, first dates and new relationships and Mm -hmm. just his experience with it. So I think it's good for people to read stories. Stories are very important 
important for people to be reinforced of kind of what's normalized and what people experience in general. Mm. Um, Attached is more of a kind of clinical book about attachment theory, which is really important in how we enter into relationships. So I think it is very important for you to identify your own attachment style and then look at your relationship and see what type of dynamic is happening. Because when you think that the person might be, oh, he's just a jerk and he doesn't communicate or she's so clingy, it might really have to do with attachment styles and might be more than just an annoying personality characteristic. So totally. Yeah. And I feel like I bought that book, I think a few years ago Mm -hmm. when I was dating someone and kind of forgot about all the principles. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not that things are like bad or whatever, but Mm -hmm. my boyfriend and I, we've been together for almost three years and we're kind of at a like crossroads Mm -hmm. and like we're asking each other questions that maybe we should have asked like year one Mm -hmm. or like Mm -hmm. we're trying to like Mm -hmm. get deeper and like Mm -hmm. have more intimacy and everything. And I feel like I need to reread that book. There's a book that's really fun um, by the Gottman Institute called Eight Great Dates. And it's the leading relationship research center. And it's, I think, eight different chapters you, you and your partner read it, and then it gives you a bunch of questions mm-hmm. and suggests a date based on these questions. Like one day you talk about money, one day you talk about values. I love this. And it gives you the questions that will help guide you. And then you think of like a cheap, fun, easy date that kind of reinforces these ideas. Okay. Um, and it's a really great way to go through a new relationship or even explore values with a a long-term relationship because uh-huh. sometimes there are these things that we don't talk about and we don't realize, you know, I got my values about money from how my parents spent money as a child and this is what was modeled to me, whereas another person might have grown up with privilege and might not view money the same way. Mm-hmm. So, and that impacts a relationship. So, oh, it totally Yeah, does. so this book is a really super easy, light read, but it has great guidelines and suggestions on how to go into those conversations. Eight Great Dates. Eight Great Dates by Gottman. G-O-T-T-M-A-N. The Gottman Institute, they did um, the principles that make a, a healthy relationship. I forget the name of the book, but it, his principles and his outlines on relationships and relationship psychology are pretty much the leading uh, resource in relationship psychology. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We're learning so much. Yeah. I want to know because, you know, when I met you, you were mm-hmm. doing like bottle service, you were personal mm-hmm. training, you were, you mm-hmm. started doing fire dancing. Yeah. I still do that here and there, but so it's more so all much. just like fun for you. But like, how did you balance career, relationships, uh-huh. life, school? Yeah, and- that was hard. Balance is hard, but I'm, I work a lot and uh-huh. that's always been my motto is kind of go for it and then relax when you get there. So, um, actually only having like one main job and still doing podcasts and interviews and writing on the side, it still feels like so much less than I did before because I was working like seven days a week for a long time yeah. and going to graduate school and having relationships here and there. But I, w- I was exhausted most of the time. I think it helps. I, d- I don't drink and, you know, I didn't really do a lot for myself, which now I'm doing at this age. So I'm like, I need to travel more. I need to really nurture my friendships and, you know, have more quality relationships because I have a little more time now. Yeah. But it's it's difficult to balance. And I think when you have your mind on something, there's things that become sacrificed. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of personal things, which is – but all my jobs were fun. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't get to hang out with my friends as much. 
but my jobs are with my friends. Mm, so at true. that time. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, the Karma Girls, it was like a mini sorority almost. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Everyone yeah. like was close and like did hang out and like mm-hmm. there was little pockets of people. Yeah. That and were I'm closer. still friendly with a lot of them. It's neat to see where people ended up. Yes. And what they're doing and kind of catch up with people here and there. So. Oh, yeah. I'll yeah. deep dive like randomly someone's yeah. face will pop up on like Facebook or Instagram and then I'll lose an hour just being like, oh, my God, they have kids now. Like, oh, most of most people. Yeah, they have kids and yeah. a lot of people moved away way and sometimes i want to repost some of those old pictures but some of the some of the outfits were good but some of them some were rough i think i might have an outfit i think i might have a picture of you and i and i'll post it if i can find it in the french made outfit french made i liked that was a good one i still have that i love that outfit i still have that too because i'm like well if i need a halloween costume and it's an actual dress it's not like a bikini yes so that was classy right that i liked but there's one one of my friends i ran into who's an actor and sometimes this picture will get posted for him because he's well known and he took a picture with me that night and it was like this black and white bikini with pink fringe yes, I and it was that. so terrible and i'm like can we just never post that picture yeah. it's just really very 2009 looking it's not just so not not cute yeah that was the year i was i think I, I had like my own table, but then I was also helping out with like Diddy's mm-hmm. tables yeah. in the back. Yeah. And I was holding like other alcohol. I was holding bottles of Grey Goose and Ciroc. And I yeah. literally felt like his security team almost shot me <laughs> because I brought Grey Goose bottles back with the Ciroc. And apparently he can only be around Ciroc. Oh, okay. Yeah, Things guys. you have to pay. The serious problems you have <laughs> I mean. at these stages in your life. Not yeah. champagne problems, vodka yeah. problems. I got my heels stuck in the, the Playboy Mansion has a lot of rocky pads. Mm-hmm. And I had one of my spike heels because, you know, we had to wear heels when we're doing this job when we're walking across a lawn and getting bottles and back and forth and wearing these like skimpy outfits and high heels and wobbling on our heels. And um, so I got my heels stuck in one of the stones and fell and sprained my wrist. It's just just things that I'm like, that injury would not happen in my current job. No, probably not. No, (laughs) no, I sit all day. You know, I drink a lot of coffee. I want to know because we um, used to like a month leading up to those like mm -hmm. no carbs, no alcohol. Yeah, like really, you know, I would uh, do a lot of fake tanner, which now like I avoid the sun at all costs. But it was in style then. So I fake tanner. And I'd oh, have my hair that. set all day and work out like a maniac because, okay. you know, you're going to be in this skimpy outfit. But we got such great tips. Yeah. And, it, you know, it was hard work. That was like a 12-hour job. It was a lot. And we're back and forth on our feet. The next day I was always getting, you know, foot massages and just incapacitated for the whole next day. Just my body was dead because we would get there to do hair and makeup in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And then we'd have all these team meetings and wait around. And then, you know, the actual job was like people would get there 8 p.m. And they'd be till like 2, 3, 4 in the morning. And then we wouldn't leave probably And then we had to later. clean up. Oh. And there was probably always some drama with payments. And as we were getting out, we'd take a shuttle. I mean, looking back, yeah, it was one job. But it's really 48 hours of being incapacitated. It really is. It's exhausting. Um, so now, like, when I see people that are waitresses or doing bottle service or things like that, I'm like – much respect. You know, I, I'm a much better tipper now in my life because yes. I've worked those jobs. You get it. It yeah. is exhausting. Mm-hmm. I want to know advice you have for couples that do work a million jobs, mm-hmm. that don't get to spend that much time together, mm-hmm. that are exhausted when they get home. Right. And that's a real experience, especially if you're in cities like New York or San Francisco or LA, where to live in these cities, it's two people in an apartment or more. You're both working. You're both contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just what the norm is. 
to live in these places. Mm -hmm. So you have to prioritize the relationship. So maybe that's just once a week, but you need to plan dates. Just like when people have kids, you have to still make that time intentionally have intentional time together. And maybe that's, we are intentionally Netflix, Netflixing and chilling. Maybe that's intentionally. We're just going to go to a movie, but it has to be intentional time. Not just like, oh, hey, babe, I'm just going to lay on you on the couch. That's not intentional time unless it's planned. Mm -hmm. Like this is our special time together. So you have Um, to plan in advance. Plan it and make it special and meaningful for you. Even if it's something quick and cheap and easy because we need to nurture the relationships we're in by having contact. Um, And if during the week you don't see each other, it's texting, it's phone calls, FaceTime. Like do you think there's a certain amount of time that couples like should – cut off the spending alone not spending alone but like some people say you shouldn't spend more than two weeks apart or i think time apart's really good for people because it makes okay. you miss them okay. so obviously interaction helps reinforce the relationship feelings and the attachment and the attunement so yeah i wouldn't say go take a six-month vacation to help your relationship alone <laughs> alone oh bye um but what happens is when you take time apart you miss your partner so taking a vacation without them or taking that time apart is actually pretty good for the relationship in most cases. Okay. Um, in fact, when I have clients that spend a lot of time together and it's a couple and they're having problems, I suggest to them that they take some time apart. Not let's take space, let's break up, but go take a vacation with your friends. Go away for the weekend. You know, Go have one or two nights a week that you do something without your partner because time apart creates missing and missing helps create uh intensity in the relationship time apart my boyfriend will mm. love to hear that let's <laughs> <laughs> see i told yeah, you yeah i need to see you less so <laughs> now it's just that's just how it is for us because we're so busy now but then you miss each other yeah no exactly um i 100 agree mm-hmm. i do want to know because you do counsel so mm-hmm. many people mm-hmm. Can you tell us what are some of the biggest mistakes that you hear from people that maybe we could learn from? In relationships or sexually? I mean, yeah, relationships. And then if you're single and then sexually. Sure. In relationships, I would say um, too much time together, like we just mentioned, can be something that becomes a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that... Um, what else? Let's see. Big relationship breakers. Um, usually any type of resentment in relationships, mm-hmm. unresolved resentment. So that's usually based on communication. Things happen. You get mad at your partner. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but un- untreated or unaddressed resentment that's growing underneath will turn into other stuff. Okay. So whatever that resentment's from, it, it resentment that's un- uh, not brought to the surface. It'll manifest in other It will ways. manifest in other ways and cause bigger problems that mm-hmm. could be addressed when you start realizing you have resentment towards your partner. Do you think the whole not going to bed angry thing? I feel like we've been hearing that I think we should little... respect our partners if they feel angry. And I'm a big supporter of being able to still come together. Mm-hmm. And if you have a partner that is a more detached or avoidant attachment style and they need to, hey, I need to spend time on the couch tonight. I need to get my thoughts together, but this doesn't mean we're breaking up. I just need a little space tonight. Yeah. If that's happening infrequently and it's something that is communicated within the relationship that that's a need the partner might have occasionally, that's okay. Okay. So, you know, and you're not going to get over something in a night. It's okay to go to bed, still be a little angry and still decide, I still love you. I still want to be with you. And 
I'm kind of mad at you right now. <laughs> and I am allowed to be mad. It's okay to be mad. I'm mad. And I love you. And I'm mad. <laughs> so that's okay. All these things can exist together. I think yeah. our problem is we think somebody's mad and then that means the relationship is over. That means other things. So it's important if you are angry at your partner to communicate what that means. I'm mad at you and I love you and I want to be with you. But right now I'm mad and I need to work through that. Give me a day to figure out what that means for me. So it's also up to the angry partner to be able to communicate that if possible. You're right. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have issues with like not communicating certain things that I'm working towards mm-hmm. that, you yeah. know, and instead it does manifest in, mm-hmm. you know, like slamming a door or mm-hmm. just like yeah. being passive, like certain things that right. we just, mm-hmm. if we had said it in the first place or just saying, you know, I'm not ready to talk about this right now, but I'm having some feelings. If you just, if you notice I'm a little off for the next couple of days, that's why I'm going to try to figure out what's going on with me and then we can talk about it that's happened to me recently where literally i'm like i need to like walk around for a while mm-hmm. i like went and like found like a tarot card reader like i was that's just fun. like i just need to like do other th- like you just have to sometimes mm-hmm. figure yourself out before you can come mm-hmm. back to the person mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. cool you guys are finding out way too much about me but that's okay i think it's great that you went for a walk and went to a tarot reader <laughs> and you know and these are all things that are very common you know you hold resentment you slam a door passive aggressive because it's it's difficult to be direct sometimes because I think we fear what happens when we're direct. Yeah. And if you're in a relationship with a person that you're very attuned with and it's a trusting, honest relationship, totally, you can be direct. And if you can be direct in a relationship and the person backs out, that's a different problem. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're scared because we also know inside if you're direct or if you do what the right thing is or what you feel like the right thing is, your partner might not stick around. Mm-hmm. And that's a bigger problem. So just, yeah. I think... What I've learned mm-hmm. in the years and years of dating and being in relationships and being single is the more you are yourself, the more authentic you are, and the more you just ask for what you need and what you want. For me, that seems to be the way to go. Mm-hmm. I'm chewing a meatball. Yeah. So, <laughs> so on brand with what's your jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I've been finding. I don't know, guys. Check back in with me in a year. Mm-hmm. We'll see. But I just... And I find that my partner appreciates it more too when I voice actually what I'm thinking, actually what I need, actually what I want, whether or not it's, you know, not what he wants to hear. It's, it's just, it makes it better. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you agree. What about single people? So the biggest mistakes they make in relationships or Or dating, dating, you're hearing a lot of right now. Um, I would say a lot of it's app dating because app dating is becoming so prevalent. It's pretty much what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and because so many people are doing it, the people that aren't doing it feel kind of left out because everybody else is kind of using – excuse me. I know I have like hiccups from the meatballs. Um uh, that everybody's doing it. So I would say being really mindful of the way that you present and engage on dating apps. Mm-hmm. And working through feelings that come up from that. Um, I have a really good friend that is also kind of single like me within the past year. And we kind of – it's a guy friend and we talk about what his experience has been like on dating apps. And um, what I notice with clients and with friends of mine um, is that when people set a boundary and say, you know, I'm not interested, but thanks, you were really nice, it feels really rejecting. And that's the better people that we're coming in contact with. A lot of times people are ghosting or being passive aggressive or, you know, just disappearing, vanishing, um, or they keep seeing you, but they're not interested. So I think it's great when we decide to interact with people that have clear communication. That means that your picking of people is getting better. However, most of the time on dating apps, you're going to be rejected. Really? Most of the time. Like you, Part of dating and especially part of dating on apps is 
being used to and normalizing the feeling of rejection and knowing that it's not you. It's just that it wasn't a match. Something's going on with them. You're not going to have the information of what that's going to be. You don't get an exit interview usually. It's just ah, getting – I know. Like, can you just fill this out and tell me why you're, why you didn't like me? Okay. Um, I wish that was at, like, the end of the dating app. Like, after you go on the date, you can right. like, But they other, actually like – there's Uber. a matchmaking service here in LA. I think it's – I forget what it's called off the top. I have a terrible sh- memory. Um, I think it's third, third date rule. No, that's not it. Uh, there's a, ma- a large mac- matchmaking service that does do that. If you go on a date with somebody they've matched you with, they typically do kind of like a quick exit interview with both parties so they know what didn't work so they can match you better with somebody next time, which I think is really cool. That's really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, so getting used to rejection if you're a single person on dating apps, understanding how you would like to present on a dating app and also how other people present based on their psychology is important. Okay. Um, Cause I'm sure you see a lot of people with certain types of selfies or is selfies. Are they okay for dating? Apps? Oh, selfies are great. Yeah. Great. But it's, it's just when somebody is on a dating app, that's not exactly who they are. That's who they want people to see it's their highlight reel. It's their highlight reel or it's, you know, they might put something that indicates an interest, which is I think really good. I had a client I worked with for a while that, had a pretty good job. He was nice looking. He was friendly, kind of shy. But um, on his dating app, his dating app picture, after a while of just trying to figure out why is he not getting anybody interested, Uh um, he was like standing in a shadow. He wasn't smiling. He was wearing a hoodie with a hood over his head. And he looked looked frightening. He looked like a criminal, Um, (laughs) which I told him. Uh, you look scary and maybe just go outside after a session and take a picture in the sun and kind of smirk or smile and see if that does anything. And it absolutely changed how people were engaging with him online. So um, I think that how we present, sometimes we maybe need to check in with our friends, especially guys. I see a lot of guys and male clients I work with checking in with their friends, especially a a female friend. Mm -hmm. What do you think of my profile? Does this portray who I really am? Is this accurate? Is this something that shows who I am, kind of a picture of maybe some interests that I have. Okay. Yeah. Now, how do you deal or what's your advice for clients who've been ghosted? I feel like this has been happening Unfortunately, a it's it's a culture. I actually like the – I think the Aziz Ansari book talks about ghosting mm-hmm. in a way that I really like. Um, it, it's, it's very common in our culture. Most people will say they – wouldn't ghost somebody and they wouldn't want to be ghosted, but most people actually have participated in that behavior in some extent. So none of us want it done to us, but Mm -hmm. a lot of us do it. Um, So I think it's getting in the habit of not doing it and that can start to change the culture. So everybody listening to this podcast, um, (laughs) if you could just make a point, don't ghost people. If you're not interested, just say, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm just not interested. Or I don't think there's a romantic connection, but you seem really nice. You know, Just be honest. Um, and if somebody's reactive to that, that's not your problem. Yeah. You know, and, and if they're reactive to that or they are problematic or insult you, you can block them or do whatever you want. But let's get in the habit of being clear with people. And as soon as we know to try to change that culture of ghosting, because it's just us avoiding what's difficult. We avoid what we don't like or what makes us feel uncomfortable or anxious. And obviously telling somebody that they're not what you want isn't fun for either party. Yeah. But it happens a lot. Yeah. Just grow some balls, people. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> Guys and girls. Grow some meatballs. Yes, grow some meatballs. <laughs> now, I had some married listeners write in okay. um, actually the same question. Uh, after being together for 10 mm-hmm. years, 25 mm-hmm. years, how do you keep that spark alive? How do mm-hmm. you reconnect mm-hmm. and like reevaluate the intimacy level of your relationship? Any like tips or anything? Well, I would think really diving into communication because a lot of times, like you said, we're in these long-term relationships and we don't really talk about the big stuff. Mm-hmm. You can be with someone a long time and not know what they feel about certain things. So I think exploring true values, like the Eight Great Dates book by Gottman's a good idea. Um, and also understanding sexually, if you're talking about sexual spark, understanding that novelty and variety really drive us as humans. So things that are new and things that are different. So if you're in a long relationship, your partner typically is not going to feel new or different. And that doesn't mean you have to go out and have other partners unless that's something you both consent to. But changing it up, making it exciting for each other, exploring new fantasies together, um, which can always be done. Google kink together. Right. Uh, getting getting involved in kink, I think, is an actually a really fun thing for people uh-huh. because it provides – oftentimes, if you're in a kink community or you go to kink spaces, it provides really wonderful boundaries and education about – sex or sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. And kink also emphasizes that you don't have to necessarily rush to penetrative intercourse. I think in a lot of heterosexual, monogamous, vanilla spaces, it's like, we're going to hook up, we go to a bar, you're going to put your penis in me. And that that can be very boring after a while. And that becomes limiting about sexuality. There's so much more to sex than just jumping in bed, having sex, you know, penetration sex and being done with it. There's Mm -hmm. so much more to explore. And kink really does explore other aspects of sexuality, whether it's sensation play, Mm -hmm. like working on sensation and looking how looking at that, how that impacts intimacy and closeness and how that feels good. Um, It could be impact like spanking or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even for couples watching adult content together and deciding what you like and what you don't like. So there's all kinds of things you can bring into the relationship, but you both have to kind of consent to it. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Um, I also, I, I want to know what, um, like, I feel like there was a turn for me when it came to dating Mm -hmm. where I used to be like, well, I should just try it. Or like, I should be open to things Mm -hmm. or like, I don't know if I like him, but I'll just go, I'll Uber myself to Mm -hmm. Marina Del Rey a few times. Like, (laughs) Ooh, the West side. No. You know, (laughs) (laughs) we're like you, I feel like, especially as females, maybe men go through this too. We have this voice of like, I should just be open and like, you know, like I should just do this. Well, I think we also need to take a look at the word should. Um, a lot of therapists will tell you that should is like a four-letter word because oh, what it implies like that. is that you're not doing something that you should be doing or that you ought to be doing and therefore you kind of are inadvertently shaming yourself. Yeah. I should do this thing. Well, you're not. Why aren't you? Yeah. Because maybe you don't want to do it. And so, you know, I wouldn't want to Uber to the West Side. No. And that doesn't sound very fun. I mean, I think that we become more flexible and a lot of times it is a gender issue because of culture that – Oftentimes women or some people, but a lot of times women feel like we should be more flexible for a man or for dating Mm -hmm. because we feel like we should be doing these things. We should be in a relationship. Um, And that's a lot of cultural pressure that we have on us. So that might not be intrinsically what your want or your need is. No. Once I started listening because I knew – I mean, you always know, I feel like. I feel Mm -hmm. like there's always that little voice inside that's like, that's 
stupid. Mm -hmm. Like you're not doing that. Mm -hmm. And until I especially started listening to that inner voice, like Mm -hmm. I didn't find happiness. Mm -hmm. Like, I think you have to be like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing like, I think that totally helps. You know, I see a lot of spaces say, get used to saying yes. And I'm all about saying no. All about the no. (laughs) Like, nope, (laughs) no, nope. I'm not going to do that because those are your boundaries you're setting for yourself. No, I'm not going to be in an Uber for an hour on a Friday night. And I'm not going to you know, feel pressure that I have to go on dates all the time um, or that I have to use an app or that I have to be sexual or not sexual. So, you know, it's when you feel that kind of cultural pressure, really ask yourself, what is it that I want? What feels right for me? Or when in my life have I felt the most connected and authentic to myself? And when have I felt the most compromised? I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. I feel like I could just keep asking you a million questions, but I can't keep you much longer. (laughs) Um, You also, you sometimes deal with like family stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know how you can open that door to like talk about sex with either mm-hmm. your kids or like because mm-hmm. I mean I'm talking about sex with kids is so important, right? I mean I was really lucky. My mom, I wouldn't say she was like a raging feminist or anything, but she was very she was sex positive without knowing that she was sex positive. So when it came to sexualized topics, she would say. She would give me minimal information, which is pretty much what you do with your kids. If they ask you a question, you give them minimal, specific information based on what they ask you, and you leave the door open if they want to ask any other questions. Okay. Um, And without shaming them. So a lot of times I'll see adult people that will have sexual shame because when they were a child, they were caught masturbating, which is very normal and healthy for all children, by the way. Um, And their mom or dad said what are you doing? Get your hands out of your pants. That's disgusting. And all it takes is that and you're set up for a lifetime of shame. (laughs) So you really got to be careful how you address your children when they're doing a natural exploration of their body or when they have questions about sexuality. Um, So sex education with children is so very important. I actually think one of the Surgeon Generals was suggesting many years ago to incorporate masturbation and more sex education in schools Mm -hmm. um, because we when we have sex education in junior high and middle school and in high school it's like here's pictures of gonorrhea don't get pregnant hiv ah scary but it doesn't talk about self development and sexual self esteem and masturbation and these things that are just positive and good and part of our human development so having more education in our schools i think is really important but that surgeon general actually got dismissed for suggesting that oh mm-hmm. wow yeah it's a long time ago but um yeah, I think we should talk about masturbation to kids uh-huh. because they're going to do it. Yeah. In fact, there are um, ultrasound pictures of uh, embryos or fetuses touching their genitals. They're obviously not like thinking sexual thoughts and masturbating the way we traditionally think think about masturbation. But they know that there's more nerve endings in that area. And when their hand brushes over the genital area, it feels nice. That's so sad. that is happening inside the body when a woman is pregnant. Wow. So let's not shame our children for natural exploration of their sexual bodies. Yeah. yeah. No, you're right. And mm-hmm. even yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I um I wanna know, you just got back from China. Yeah. What were you doing over there? I was teaching sexuality to Chinese women. What, can yeah. you tell the meatballs like some takeaways? From yeah, that? it was really great. It was the third time I was there. I was there three years ago with the same company that does sex education to women that are 
mostly also medical professionals um, in China that's not typical in their culture that they're seeking out therapists. In LA, I told them, you know, like so many people have therapists in LA yeah, and it's so normal, but in China, that's not normal. You don't seek out help for mental health unless it's severe. Mm -hmm. um, and it's typically in hospitals or psychiatrists that you're seeing. So if you've had a trauma or you have a question about like, how do I forgive my husband after he's cheated or things like that, that people here normally would discuss with a therapist, um, you might talk to a doctor about because you're going to get plastic surgery or you go to the gynecologist and that professional is the one that might be receiving some of these questions. So I was teaching to these professionals. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. And in, in China, there's so many amazing things. I love the culture there. I really like going there. And um, the the marriage and family structure is so emphasized within the culture. If you have a child out of wedlock, um, that child might not have access to a certain amount of resources. So when people say, I got pregnant and I had to get married and I'm staying together for my family. They're not just staying together because it feels right or it's a religious preference. They will not be able to access resources and not be viewed on a social level in a way that is healthy if they are not married with children. So when I was talking to them about, you know, you could just leave your husbands if they cheat on you or like, do it for, do you? They're like, yeah, we can't do you. We can't do that. We have to look at it as what will benefit the family or the culture. It's just how our culture is. So how do we remain in a marriage or a relationship where we may not feel the same about our partner and the partner might be disrespecting us, but we know that our lives will not be okay if we leave. And that's just what it is. And I'm not talking about major abuse or things like that, but just other things that here we would just say, you know, we're going to end this relationship and consensually depart the relationship. So that was really interesting kind of being around a culture that's just so very different from ours in that way. So like, what would you tell them to do if they're like stuck with someone who's just continuously cheating on them or like stuff like that? Right. But they, they just manage. They learn to explore themselves, have more time on their own. Maybe it's not a close, intimate relationship, but they're partners and, you know, they can talk about, okay, whatever happens outside the relationship you do you, I'll do me. Um, and that seems to be what happens in those situations. Um, but I was teaching the women about masturbation, about how that's such an important part of self-care and self-exploration. Mm -hmm. Because if your partner's cheating on you and you know you don't have the closeness with them and you're relying on them for all of your sexual needs, that doesn't feel very comfortable. So how can you satisfy yourself? How can you give yourself pleasure? How can you love your own body? Because you know, as all people, we're not always going to be able to depend on our partner 100%. In fact, it's not healthy. So how can you get to know yourself and explore yourself and give yourself those great feelings and orgasms and just feel good? So I was teaching masturbation in China, essentially. <laughs> and self-disclosure, I also unknowingly smuggled banned books into China. So Ooh. I feel like such a rebel. I brought like one or two books about – it wasn't even a book that I was interested in on sexual chakras that they had wanted. The other instructors there like really want this kind of like sexual chakra book. Can you order it on Amazon and bring it? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they're like, yeah, we can't get this here. This is banned here. And it's a book that wasn't even that intense. Like my book's way more explicit. Um, it's sexual chakras. I don't know anything about this. Yeah, neither did I. I just not my thing. But um, they're like, this is banned. So I did feel very like George Orwell, like sci-fi dystopian future, like smuggling banned books into foreign countries. Um, that I feel like I should put that on my dating app as my... <laughs> You should. I love that you're on a dating app. And yeah. You're a sex yeah. You know, everybody, you everybody are. is right. You know, and I think I'm, I left a relationship about a year ago and, you know, I'm open to meeting people, but also being on an app, like I really just don't go on dates. Like I don't often date because I'm very busy. And it's interesting. Like if a guy writes to me, I'm like, you know, I'm very busy. Actually, I work a lot. I have my own business. I do all these other things. 
and they'll feel like I have slighted them when I tell them I'm not just available to them. So I just, I don't go on it too much, but every mm-hmm. once in a while, if I think somebody will be a good match for me, I'll entertain a date, you know. What do you recommend for girls for Bumble? Mm-hmm. Good opening line. Um, You know, it's interesting. I hear a lot of men complain about what they hear from women on their um, apps. So I would say uh, do something that not everybody's doing. Like, you know, what? like be authentic, but um, it's interesting. Sometimes I go on dates with men and we end up just saying, hey, look, we'll just be friends. Also, what's your experience been like on these apps? Tell me because I just want to pick your brain. Yeah, I've had that when I was on the apps. People would just be like, can we just talk about being on the app? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of fun because I'm like, what's your side like? And so I hear men in my practice and men I've met um, talk a lot about just how they see a lot of female profiles having the same type of photo or they say they just want to go hiking and drinking coffee, which I'm like, I like hiking and drinking coffee. I'm like, I really like coffee. Um, but just think about something that's a little bit um, more unique mm-hmm. that will catch somebody's attention. Like something about you, like, you know, I I might put oh, fire eating therapist. I don't I don't have that on there, but something like that that could be a little out of the norm that somebody could read that and be like, that's interesting. Maybe I want to get to know this person a little bit more. Something that's going to catch their attention. That you know? makes you stand out. That a makes you bit unique from yeah. the pack. Or something funky or quirky, different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. What do you recommend for girls that either want to get into what you're doing and mm-hmm. didn't even know that that was like a path or mm-hmm. not even girls, girls, guys, everyone? <laughs> uh, like being a therapist? Yeah. Like a sex, yeah. specializing in what you specialize well, in. Well, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's it's great. I love what I do for a living. Um, but I also went to school for a really long time. As I, I met you, I think I was probably in graduate school at that time. So mm-hmm. getting through a bachelor's, a master's, I did my PhD after that. Getting licensed takes 3,000 hours of interning, which is a really long time, years and years. So it's a really long process. And then specializing, you can specialize as a therapist as long as you have um, education, experience, mentoring, um, in that specialty, whatever that specialty is. So that takes time too. Um, So it's just going to school for all of those years, (laughs) sacrificing a lot, um, and then uh, specializing in whatever that area is. And most therapists I would recommend to them um, to specialize in something. Like have a niche, have something that you feel passionate about um, because that's better for clients, you know, that you have a specialty area. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think it might limit you, but I think it's actually really helpful. So I'd say about half of my clients come to me for sexuality related things, half don't, but the ones that don't might realize that I have the specialty and say, well, you know what? I actually, you know, I'm really into BDSM, but I've never told anybody, even my previous therapist, and it's a big problem in my life because I have a hard time connecting to partners or communicating about it. Um, But I can tell you because I see that you specialize. So even if people don't come to me for a sexual issue, they typically will open up a little bit more about those things because they feel safer with my background. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Mm -hmm. Are you going to write another book? I'd like to. Um, I was hired to write that book, and that publishing company doesn't do sexuality books anymore. Okay. Um, so I have a few ideas on books I want to do, but now it's, you know, just trying to figure out where the best fit for those things would be, or maybe it's writing articles with those ideas or recording videos. So I don't really know okay. where I'm going to go with it, but I have my hands in a lot of other things where I'm kind of out there a lot. I'm doing education videos this week for a nonprofit that I work with called Pineapple Support. Ooh, what's um, that? Pineapple. It's interesting. Pineapple is the most common safe word. Mm-hmm. 
So that's for in the really BDSM funny. community, yeah. <laughs> so they call it, that's where the name Pineapple Support came from. But it's um it's a nonprofit that helps to subsidize therapy and other services to um, adult industry people, so sex workers in the adult entertainment industry. Okay. Because sometimes you think about sex workers that do porn as like having a lot of money, and that's in the '90s. That's really not now. And the, there was like a different generation and different culture um, at a different time where people were making a lot more money and most sex workers that are doing on-camera sex work uh, typically are not rolling in millions of dollars. So having some help with getting therapeutic services is helpful. So they'll subsidize and cover some of the cost. Um, So adult industry people can seek out therapy. And then do you recommend because I I, I think therapy is great, but I know a lot of couples Mm – either look down upon it or look at it like it's failure. Do you recommend if a couple's at that no. point, should they come together or should they see you separately? I like- usually recommend when I see a couple as a couple that they also have their own therapist. Okay. Because I see them as a unit. I'm not pulling out all their individual issues. Okay. Um, so I always think seeing an individual therapist first is a really good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, couples therapy is great for a, a variety of reasons. And also if the relationship ends, a relationship ending is not failure. Because a lot of relationships will end. And that's also just like getting used to rejection while dating, getting, um, accepting the fact that a lot of relationships will have a relationship cycle. Staying together forever doesn't necessarily mean success. Some of that success might be agreeing to like consciously uncouple or, you know, this isn't working. We're seeing this. We're seeing these patterns between the two of us. We can both decide to part ways in the most adult and respectful way possible. And that is possible. So, Success sometimes is breaking up. Which leads us to, um, <laughs> uh, so we have a special little thing that we do at the end of the podcast. Okay, are we going to sing a song? Um, kind of. Uh, so lyrics. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's funny that you were saying, you were talking about breaking up because the lyrics I chose for you are bad romance. Um, <laughs> I love that video though. Oh, I love- it's so good. Um, the reason why I always have a guest read, um, just a you could look at the lyrics right now oh, cool. and pick okay, a little part. I also part. saw some football thing there. There is a football thing here. I don't want to do that. You don't have to do that. Okay. I don't, yeah, like, I, I won't I don't, make you I don't do like sports. I would do. I'm like, I don't like sports. You would learn a lot from doing playing. I was going to have Amy do um, playing the field, the game, which if you're, if you've listened before, you know what that is. Um, but we don't have, I'd rather you do the read. <laughs> I feel like that's more. I have a strong aversion to sports or yeah. anything sports related. No. That's more on brand with yeah. you. So you just look through. There's a few lines there where okay. I thought it might be kind of fun if like some of those lines if you had a client come in and say this stuff to you like what advice <laughs> you would give so you look that over i'm Do gonna talk- just pick one area or no, like a few of them a few of them okay i'm gonna talk to the meatballs while you look it over um meatballs how fucking awesome is amy she's the best and she answered so many of your questions thank you again for writing in i really i hope we covered everything you guys wanted to know if not please um email me at what's your jersey podcast at gmail.com and we'll get into it mom if you're listening i hope you're not just bright red and blushing um no this was great and informative for all of us and i again just want to thank you guys for supporting the podcast please 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 rate review and subscribe um and let me know what else you want to know uh and without further ado are you ready for your bad romance yeah um (laughs) so 
you know, this song is really, um, you know, if I had a client that came in and sang bad romance as why they're coming to therapy and said some of these things, it's all pretty much summarizing the same thing. So I want your bad romance. I want your ugly. I want your disease. I want your everything. I want your love, your drama, the touch of your hand, your leather studded kiss in the sand. You know, as I'm reading this, I actually have two thoughts. So I'll go with the first um, because it's more obvious Mm -hmm. um, that somebody that wants an unhealthy partner might be replaying issues for themselves that don't work, but maybe reminds them of a past experience, whether it's with a family member or a parent. So somebody that wants to be treated poorly, wants somebody to treat them badly, their drama, their abuse. And you see this a lot with people that have had trauma, replaying trauma, trauma bonding, um, so I would work with that person on identifying the origin or the function of being attracted to people that are abusive or unhealthy for them and help them and support them in making more positive and healthy choices. That being said, um, I also, as a sex therapist in West Hollywood that's very sex positive, see people that are into extreme BDSM. So when I'm reading, I want your disease. Um, I want your drama. I want your leather studded kiss. I'm also wondering if this song or this type of verbiage could be more about somebody that wants to be a submissive in a BDSM relationship that's consensual, but also to the outside could appear abusive. Um, if I have a client that's in a BDSM relationship coming covered in, with bruises to an outsider that could look like abuse. Abuse, but for somebody that is a submissive that wants impact play and it's consensual, those bruises will remind them of like a really great orgasm they had. And that is consensual and okay. So we have to be really careful how we stigmatize things that appear on the outside to be abusive, but could be consensual relationships. Yeah. So this song could be about unhealthy relationship picking. The song could also be about a submissive that wants their best BDSM partner. I feel like, I mean, Lady Gaga, just so many layers, so many colors. So yeah. She, and just the imagery. She's so creative. Ugh. She's she's so creative. I love the imagery, especially in her early videos. Um, they're oh really gosh. cool. Yes. You're really cool. Yeah. I actually, um, I had a projector in my house before. And one time I had a bunch of friends over and I had Lady Gaga videos played, but I muted it and played Ramstein. Oh my god! <laughs> and I'm like, this is perfect. Wait, that's so cool. Wait, yeah. what turns you on that you have around your house? I feel like we all want to know. Well, like things that I have. Well, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I have a weird house. So oh my god! Um, I, I told you it. I have an albino deer head in my bedroom, like yes. a real one. And um, wow. I surround myself with things that make me feel aroused. And that doesn't necessarily mean sexually aroused, but uh-huh. things that make me feel intellectually stimulated or meaningful. Mm-hmm. So in my house, I, I collect things. I'm a collector. I collect um, relics that have to do with women's history and women being shamed for who they are. Mm-hmm. So I have a copy of the Malleus Maleficarum, which is the witch's hammer. It's the second most popular book that was printed on a printing press after the Gutenberg Bible. Oh, wow. And it was pretty much an instructional manual that was used by the church and the court system to condemn women for being witches when they pretty much just had their own thoughts or they were sexual. And we know that most of the women that were killed for being witches typically weren't like pagan or Wiccan. They were just women that were being themselves or sometimes had some anxiety or depression. So I have one of the early editions of that book from the 1400s. That's so cool. And I have um, torture devices from the Spanish Inquisition that are replicas from the 1800s, but they're replicas that would be in a museum Mm -hmm. that were typically used to shame women also for being women, like a shame mask or a heretic fork that would force force you to look up at God because you are a bad girl. 
pretty much or you read a book you weren't supposed to read. So I have these things around my living room, yeah. um, which makes it also awkward if I invite new people over. And I'm like, yeah, this is my house that kind of looks like a weird church museum. Oh, no, this sounds so cool. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll have I'm you over so sometimes. I'm like, yeah. I need to come over. I want to yeah. decorate. Yeah, I have like human skulls. And, you know, so I yes. have like interesting things. But for me, that feels stimulating because it also has to do with the meaning of life and like why we are where we are and why it is that we should celebrate the progress that we have and be aware of the progress that we'd still like to achieve as women or as people in our culture. So, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, my God. Guys, yeah. I, I could sit here and talk to you for hours, but, um, you know, you have to go to work. I have to go to work. Yep. Uh, pimp yourself out and tell people how they can get in contact yeah, with you and sure. hire you. And so I am a private practice therapist in West Hollywood. So if you live in the Los Angeles area, you can come see me in my practice. Um, otherwise, I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I don't really use my website that much. It's you know, Who does really use websites anymore? I have um, one. but I have one. It's like an online business card. I don't really. Um, but my Instagram is Dr. Amy Harwick. It's D-R-A-M-I-E-H-A-R-W-I-C-K. Facebook's the same thing, just Dr. Amy Harwick, just my name. Um, and that's pretty much it. I'll post things here and there. Sometimes I post videos on YouTube yeah. once in a while, like education stuff. But if you have questions or anything I can connect you to, definitely reach out. Um, if you're somebody I already know or somebody that's not a good fit for me as a client, I will definitely refer you to another really awesome therapist and help you navigate that process because finding a therapist is definitely difficult sometimes and it's frustrating. Yeah. Or finding other professionals that are sex positive or connecting you to resources because I have a lot of really great connections with resources in this community so that's awesome yeah, oh my yeah. Gosh, thanks for having it. me no thank you for being here you are such a delight yeah. i feel like i've learned so much yeah i learned about kink and kittens and- oh, it's amazing <laughs> i'm gonna set you up with annabelle um the kittens podcast anyway uh also meatballs thank you for listening i love you i hope you learned as much as i did today i feel like we should all just go home and do fun things mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i'm that was like the cookie cutter version of it all right um thank you amy thank you thank you meatballs i'm jacqueline marfuji this is what's your jersey and i'll catch you on the flip side bye